0: And our first passage is from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 to 13, and you will find it on pages 1175 in your Bibles. That's page 1175, and it is on the screen. So this is about unity and maturity in the body of Christ. and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean, except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions of the fullness of christ this is the word of the lord
1: thanks be to god what a god worthy of worship and so how worthy are his words of listening to why don't we pray that we would do that now lord god we thank you that you are a living god who is mighty to save and who speaks to us and i pray Lord, you would speak to us now by your word help us to see what you would have to say to us Amen. Amen. Why do we want to listen to this particular passage? It's because it's about unity, the pain of division fixed. So whether it's in the Church of England or the APCMs, if you've been on that recently, where you feel there are tribes within Christianity, whether it's friendships and families where division exists and pain as well, whether it's the world that longs for a unity that it cannot seem to find, here is the answer. Look with me at verse 1, we are called as Christians, to, we're urged to live a life worthy of the calling. Can you see that? I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received, Paul says to the church. What does that mean? Verse 2, what is a life worthy? To be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. That's our relationships with each other that when they are like that that is when we are living that life that is worthy but what else it's also being united people have a look at verse three make every effort spare nothing make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace be one people what's the basis of that unity where does it flow from that's verses four and six it is flowing from god his nature the nature of his gospel and rescue plan, the nature of his church. Verse 4. There is one body, that is us, the church, and one spirit of God, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Our unity and togetherness is sourced in our God. It flows from his nature. So what do we do? And how do we do it? Well, we make every effort to be ministers. That is, servants to one another. To serve each other. We make every effort to be ministers through a God-given, Bible-shaped works of service. Have a look with me at verse 3. Did you see? It said, make every effort to keep the unity. How are we going to do that? (laughs) First of all, by grace. By the gifts that we do not deserve. But God gives us have a look at verse 7 but to each one of us grace has been given as Christ apportioned it what is that the quote tells us when he ascended on high he took many captives and he gave gifts to his people so by this grace these gifts we've been given what do we do with them have a look at verse 11 so Christ himself gave the Apostles the prophets the evangelists the pastors and teachers all the pastor teachers those are all word-based. They proclaim the words of God to us. They're that Bible-based ministry. That's what we, what we have. These, these gifts that are used through this Bible-based ministry to do what, verse 12? To equip his people for works of service. That is that we would serve one another and the community around us. And the result... uh, end of verse 13 until we all reach unity so can you see how the gifts that we've been given and we don't deserve when they're exercised in that bible shaped service of one another in service of Christ we all reach unity in the faith one God one faith one father of all that's where our unity is found What's that like? It's like singing. It's just like singing. The gospel of Christ and teaching in, in, in words is our motive for singing, isn't it? That's our motive to be united in that action. <coughs> That's why we're here this evening, or maybe you're thinking about that for the first time. And and how do we do it? Well, we use the gifts that we are given in order to serve God and one another through compositions of music, through playing instruments, through making a noise with our voices, no matter how bad they may be. We serve one another in our movement and our acting together as one. But each one of us is different, aren't we? Very different. But we're united when we sing. And so it is with the people of God who are united through the exercise of God-given gifts in a Bible-shaped ministry serving one another in our community. We're united. There's a lovely picture of it in Revelation 7. Let me read that to you. John is showing the spiritual realities of what is to come. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation and tribe and people and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. That is Jesus who takes away the sins of the world. They were wearing white robes. They were perfect. And they were holding palm branches in their hands, worshipping a king. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God. He sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and round the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell down on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength <coughs> be to our God forever and ever. Amen. The unity that our world longs for <coughs> is coming. But it only happens when Jesus is the center And when that happens, heaven and earth will be united. Angels and God's people. That's where we're heading. And so you often hear uh, young people say, I've got to find my people. No better or more united people than the people of Christ. And actually by you serving with your God-given gifts, the people of God and our community, that grows our unity so the question for you to meditate on right now is, what God-given gifts have I been given to serve and grow that unity of God's people? What gifts have I got that I can use in God's grace to serve others in that Bible-shaped way to grow the unity of God's people? Why not have that passage open and keep thinking about that as we pray?
0: So our second reading tonight is taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 13 verses 1 to 7 and you can find it on page 1154 in the Bibles but again it's up on the screen. Love is indispensable and yet I will show you the most excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men or angels but do not have love I am only a resounding gong always hopes and always perseveres. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thanks be to God. This one's always round at weddings, isn't it? (laughs) Why is that? Why is that? It's because our world longs for a proper love, don't they? But love is not love you feel like you don't belong, you feel others are so gifted, there are cliques everywhere at church, I don't feel like I'm a contributor. Never need to feel that again if you come back to the love of Christ. The theme here is that a Jesus-shaped love is more important to church and to our gathering than gifts. A Jesus-shaped love is more important than gifts in our church. Just at the end of chapter 12, we read there, and yet I will show you the most excellent way. This is what Paul says to the Corinthians, who are a great church and a bit all over the shop. This is what we want to be striving towards. And then he contrasts these super spiritual gifts against love. Not just any love, a specific word, agape, which is a Jesus-shaped love, a sacrificial love that dies on the cross, the love of God for us, that he would forgive us even as, our, as, as being his enemies. A love of other that is costly and radical. That kind of love. Verses 1 to 3, here's the contrast. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but I do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. You might be able to converse with angels. That'd be a pretty cool super spiritual gift. But if you don't have love, it's empty. If I have the gift of prophecy and I can fathom all all mysteries and all knowledge, verse 2, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, that would be pretty handy to have in a church, wouldn't it? (laughs) But I have not got love. I am nothing. You actually, you're nothing in God's eyes. You might be able to do those incredible things that no one can do, but you're nothing in God's eyes if you've not got this type of love. Verse 3, if I give all I possess to the poor, and give over my body to hardship, that I may boast. You know, everyone looks at you and goes, that, that woman there, she is on fire for the Lord. Look what she's doing with her life. But do not have love, I gain nothing. You're empty, you are nothing and you gain nothing if you don't have love even if you have these super spiritual gifts a Jesus shaped love is more important to church than gifts you achieve nothing, you are nothing, you gain nothing without this Jesus shaped love it is the essential ingredient of being church gathered together and so what's the aim? the aim is seek to love like Jesus let's read verses 4-7 to Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, whoops, it keeps no record of wrongs, love does not delight in evil but rejoices in the truth, it always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Do you feel overwhelmed? You should. If you read that and you think, yeah, that's me, we need to have a conversation. (laughs) You should feel overwhelmed because what's described here is the love of Jesus. Only Jesus loves like this. We know that love, don't we? Some of us here today know the preciousness of being loved by Jesus that way. And I hope if you're visiting here, you will discover that. You'll know the joy of being loved in this way by God himself. And we know that a bit and we're growing at Emmanuel in our knowledge of that love and we love it. Imagine Jesus without love, impatience with the disciples. Imagine Jesus strutting his power before kings, demanding others to follow him or die. Imagine him blasting those who would crucify him with fire and brimstone, letting us know and everyone the wrong that we've done will not be forgotten. It will, and he is going to give up on us the second that we give up on him. Praise God for a Jesus who doesn't exercise his power and his might without love. But the wonderful love of Christ is what we have. A love that always protects, always trusts always hopes, always perseveres with us, is never angry with us, uh, quickly, easily angered, keeps no record of our wrongs. But the wonderful love of Jesus Christ is what we have. And that is how we know what love is, and it is how we know how to love other people, and it also motivates us. It's the why we want to love. Because we've experienced that beautiful love and it makes us want to love others like that. So if you've got Jesus' love, then you have the essential ingredient to church life and to unity in that church. There's no need to, to long for any other gift or to be part of any clique at church or to be the person at the front doing the amazing talk or whatever it is. If you've got the love of Christ and you can love others like that and grow in that, what is the ability to preach compared to having the love of Christ? What is being part of the inner circle compared to being loved by the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, the most intimate circle there's ever been? And if we take that love and we use that to love others, then you will see God at work like never before. Then you'll be like Christ. And you won't be empty, empty, You won't be nothing. You won't gain nothing. It'll be the reverse. You'll be like Christ, dearly beloved by Christ, and you will gain so much here. This is what it's like. The best parent in the world, without love, is no parent at all. You can provide money, home, schools, a career, glory even, but what your child will crave on the psychologist's couch and on their deathbed is the love of the Father. But equally, the worst parent, you might be a terrible parent, but you love. I'll take that any day. But there's a risk, isn't there, that actually we can be the bad parent, and we're so worried about being the bad parent, we're so wanting to accumulate all the gifts that we forget just to love. And that is tragic. Like a Christian, so preoccupied with the gifts uh, and, uh, and, the, uh, uh, and the sort of um, affirmation of those around us receiving their love that we forget to love others with the love that Christ loves us that Christ shaped love is the most excellent way it's not for marriage it's for us here Emmanuel is actually a good vision of this Jesus shaped love for one another and we are striving to grow in that by knowing Christ's love better and exercising it more That's a wonderful thing. We've got a long way to go. Isn't it terrible? Our schools, they tell our children to love each other. Well, how are you going to keep doing that? Why should we do that? If it's so you'll get ahead, you'll live in a nicer environment, then it's not love, but it's self-interest, isn't it? Jesus' love is radical, sacrificial, and totally for us. And he is our why we love, and the way that we love, And how we do love. And I bet you the schools here are not teaching people that. And it's a travesty. Because it's only in a culture where Jesus and his love is at the heart of it. That people grow to love each other in an extraordinary way. And you can be part of that. As you love one another and you love your mates like Jesus. With a Christ shaped and Christ driven love. So here's a question for reflection in verses four to seven. As you look through that list, which aspect of love of church family do I pray that God would grow me in? Do I love my church family in a way that delights, uh, not in evil, but rejoices in truth? Do I love my church family in in a way that doesn't keep records of wrong? Do I love my church family in a way that always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres? Which one for you are you praying that God would grow
0: you in. Let's have a think on that.